Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Morning, church. Good to see all of you today. We are continuing our series in the book of Romans. We are coming to the conclusion of this wonderful series that we've been on for quite some time now. And so we're finishing up chapter 15 today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, but it'll be on your screens as well. And today we're entitling this message, The Gospel or The Gospel-Centered Church. And honestly, I wish I could go back and change some of my more recent titles. I don't know if the Lord blesses me and I want to write a book or something down the road. But I think every one of these since chapter 13 has been about the church and about what kind of church God desires out of us. You could possibly argue that about many passages of the Bible, certainly, but I think that's definitely what Paul is up to today as he writes this letter to the church of Rome. Is What does it look like to be a gospel-centered church? If I could go back, I would have named it like the first one could have been the welcoming church and then the discerning church. And y'all remember there was the, the, oh, oh no man, nothing but your love. That could have been like the loving church. And last year was the harmonizing church or the church in harmony. I don't know. It's been all about the church and and what He wants us to be as believers, what Christ really desires for His people. And this one is so filled with this idea that we we are engaged and it is our, our ultimate goal to really fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. That is certainly Paul's greatest desire and the one that he's really casting a vision for for the church in Rome. And I'm hopeful today that that's what we can get our hands on. That, that we can catch fire for the things that caught the apostles on fire, the things that, that caught the disciples of Christ and really engaged them. That's what I want to be about is what is the timeless message that's been good news for so long? That's, that word gospel really just means that. It means good news. God's spill is the original in the Old English. It, it has the idea of an old Latin word, which means literally the, the good message or the good news. And we have to admit something we don't really hear a whole lot of good news. There's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, if you turn on your television, the reason you see so much bad news is unfortunately bad news sells. It's profitable. <clears throat> it's, people are some, most often people are less interested in hearing about you know, the wonderful thing that happened at the local fairgrounds or the wonderful thing that happened at a local school they might watch that and maybe you know, there's a bit of warmth in their heart for just a moment, but they're going to stay tuned to hear about another school shooting or, or some awful thing that's happening on another part of the world. Like, bad news sells. And so we see it nonstop because we have to remember something. The news at the end of the day, as much as they'd like to say is unbiased, it's still a business. At the end of the day, the news is business and they're going to do what sells. And so violence Sells. If it bleeds, I heard it once said, if it bleeds, it leads. But aren't you sick and tired of bad news? It's pretty sad, too, if you come to church and that's all you get. It's sad, too, if you're among believers and that's all you get. And, and I'll admit something that oftentimes my prayers, I'm, I'm sure the Lord is somewhat exhausted by me, but he, he loves me nevertheless for whatever reason. But I would imagine in my small group or when I get around believers, I'm tempted to let it all be bad news and just talk to him about and talk to them about my endless needs and my, my endless hang ups and all the things that are going wrong. The fact that yet another 
one of my vehicles is messed up. It's consistently a problem in my life that I can't have a working vehicle or, or, or that something else is going wrong. My health, I mean, I'm filled with bad news just like everyone else. And I don't want to be about that. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that allowed people like Paul, who went through immense trouble compared to me, to speak what he's going to speak on today. And just compare the gospel to like the greatest thing he could possibly be endeavoring to do. And I want to be like that. That's all I can ask for. It's just, God, help me help our church to be the kind of people who are so devoted to the good news of Jesus Christ that it, we wouldn't let anything hang us or, or hinder us from getting there. What does it look like to see ourselves in that mission, to be on a part of this gospel of Christ Jesus what we see in the book of Romans 15 is the Apostle Paul describing this, describing how God has called him to the gospel ministry, how he's inviting now in this section of Scripture, he's inviting the believers in Rome to, to partake in this. Would you, would you join me in this? Nothing could be better. And we can be joined as well. <laughs> that this mission is never ending until Christ is come and comes again. That we have a mission and it's a, it's a great one. And it baffles me every time I think about it that God, He could have in His infinite grace and mercy, He could have just done this on His own. But for whatever reason, He includes us in it. It's like He wants us to get just a little taste of what it's like to see people come to salvation. And I can tell you this, friends, I've seen a lot of wonderful things. That's one of the most wonderful things you'll ever experience. I've... I've, I've been there at the aisle when my wife walked down the aisle. I've been there for four different kids being birthed. I've seen amazing things. And yet I can tell you something. When people come to salvation, it's amazing. Because you know, this is an eternal step. All of those other things, they're super important, but this one is the most important. Wow, what a wonderful thing. How can we answer this call then? This call to join together in the ministry of the gospel. Guess what, church? we got five ways today. If you've been coming a while, you know. That's out of the norm. Five ways we can join together in the ministry of the gospel. I felt like they jumped off the page, so I couldn't avoid them. How can we join together in the ministry of the gospel? Here's the first way, but let me read first. Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 14, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points... I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word, by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see and those who have never heard will understand. You see, this is the reason why I have, I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing. As I go to Spain, 
and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be a service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. How can we join together in this ministry of the gospel then? By first understanding that it is a priestly ministry. It is a priestly ministry. That's how Paul leads off in these opening verses. He describes this ministry as priestly. And then he uses a bunch of terms that are equally describing that. He says priestly in verse 16. And then he says as an offering. Like an offering uh, on the altar of, at the temple, that kind of offering. And then he says, sanctify. This, this word of glorified, hagiizo is the word, like that we would be sanctified, separated from profane things. This is Paul's ministry as he sees it, is that God has called him to bring other people into a purified relationship with God. That he, in fact, part of his offering is to, to bring non believers to Christ and say, Here you are. Here you are, Lord. Here are my friends. Who are those people I'm running into? God, now shape them, save them, change them. But he's treating people, he says, they're like an offering for me. Because I'm a priest. I'm one of yours. And he's, he's inviting the Roman church, and now us, he's inviting us to be a part of this priestly ministry. This is indeed what we're about. That's what the gospel does to people. It changes them. It sets them free. It sets them on the right course. And if our commission as believers is to bring them to Christ, then we are indeed priests. That's what we are. Bringing them like an offering before the Lord. This word gospel is throughout here in verse 16, 19, 20 and on. And several times in here you see gospel. It's the, the Greek word here is euangelion. You'll, you'll hear the word angel in the midst of that. Angel literally means messenger or, or messenger. And so this idea of euangelion is good message. That which comes, that's good news, a, a acceptable news. And so this is the good news. Paul is saying, hey, we get to be a part of this message. And the message is this. It's pretty simple. That we're broken and messed up, but God's not done with us. And that the, the gospel news is so, so outstanding that Jesus Christ has died for us on the cross and that we might be free. That's the good news. Now, there's just a hint. There's like a hint of reality in that good news that people have to come to this and go, well, I can't make it on my own. I wouldn't say that's bad news. It's just real news. When we come bearing the good news, we must admit one thing is true. And I heard one pastor once say this. He said, you've got to get them unsaved before you can get them saved. Um, I would say be careful with that, but, but there's a piece of that that's true. The truth is people have to know they need a Savior. 
They have to know that they need saving. And I think everybody in their heart knows that, but a lot of people are running from it. A lot of people are pretty unwilling to admit that. But that's step one. And then they can finally hear the great news that despite of that, despite of the fact that we desperately need a Messiah, despite of the fact that we can't save ourselves, we have been saved in Christ Jesus. So we're priests now. Paul says we're priests. We're all a part of this journey of helping people come to Christ in, in an offering in a in sanctified way. And he, 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 I love what he says in verses 14 and 15. It's like, okay, look, Roman church, for instance, and maybe he could say this of us. I pray it's true. In verse 14, he says, I'm satisfied about you. Look, I haven't written these 14 chapters before of all this doctrine and all this stuff. I didn't write it to you to bash you. In fact, I'm satisfied with what I'm hearing about you. I just wanted to write to you as a reminder. I think that's why Paul writes such a heavy, amazing letter here to the church at Rome. First of all, Rome is the center of the universe at this time. So it would be a real miss to not engage the Roman church as the, almost the Mecca of the current day, right? But also, he knows, I'm only going to get to see you guys in passing. And so I'm going to write... I'm going to write everything the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart to you. And then in the end, as he's now coming to a close, he's like, but look, I'm happy with you. I just want you to be reminded of some really great stuff. First of all, you're a part of this ministry with me. And I'm going to be passing through soon. I want to come through and go to Spain. That part blows my mind, right? He's on the mission. He's on the move. And he's like, I'm, I'm planning to pass by. I've been longing to come see you. And I want you to know you get to be a part of this ministry. That this doesn't stop with me no matter what happens next. And I'm so thankful for men and women of God like that. That made the decision, I want to carry this further. That's why you and I are in this room. If it wasn't for people like this, we wouldn't be in this church. There would be no salvation here in America. Unless there was a lot of faithful people who took on the priestly ministry. So you ask yourself this, then okay, am I a priest? There's a lot of you in the room that I'm telling you that right now and you're like, whoa. Jonathan, I thought you knew me a little bit better than that. You know I'm not in that. I'm not, whatever that is you're doing, I'm not in that category, right? I like to do really ridiculous stuff on my own time, right? I don't want to talk about that right now, but God, He knows, right? Well, first of all, you should know me well enough that I think and do ridiculous things too, and I'm praying that God would constantly change me and set me free of those things that, that hinder me and hang me up. But I'm recognizing something that's true for both of us, whether you're on this stage or on some other platform for the gospel in this city or in this country, you're a priest. We've all been given that. The Great Commission, and I've said this a thousand times here, is for every believer. Every believer. That means we're all called to a priestly ministry. We're all called to it. 1 Peter 2.9, in fact, says this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. That actually, that verse alone really frees me too because it reminds me of something. That my priestly duty is to declare the praises. My priestly duty is first to worship, but also to let people know, look what God has done. Look where He's taken me. This is who I once was. Look who I am now. And it's because of Christ. It's because of Him. <laughs> we can keep saying this here. We have said this for many, many years. Some of you came from our Wilson campus with me when we came up here to plant. But we used to say this a long time because we were meeting in schools. We met in, in Rocky Mount Academy for two years. But at our Wilson campus, we met in schools for over a decade. 
And we used to say this a lot of weeks. We'd say the church is not the steeple, it's the people. The church is not the steeple, it's the people. We could still say that. We don't have one of those. Although I'm not going to lie to you, I like a good steeple. I'm, I'm totally game for it if the Lord wants to do that down the road. But at the same time, what is the church really? It's not a building. It's not where we gather. It's who gathers. It's the people. And the people are priests. Living sacrifices, as the, the word puts it. You're a priest, my friend. That's good news today. And here's the second, and it's equally important, if not more important than the fact that we, we get to be on this priestly mission, but also we can recognize that it is a powerful ministry. It's a powerful ministry. This is, this is so important to remind ourselves of this. That there's some of you who are engaging people at your workplace, maybe in your families, and you felt seasons of defeat. Maybe you're there now. You feel like some loved one or someone you're working with or somebody you've really been reaching out to and working hard on for a long time, they're running from God and as a result, they're running from you. And it feels like God's not that powerful. And that's a lie. That's a lie Paul is reminding the Romans of. Look, church, whatever we're feeling here in this culture, whatever we're feeling in this society, Christians have been feeling it for 2,000 years, if not stronger. In the Roman world, it was dangerous to be a Christian. It wasn't just unpopular. It was downright dangerous. And Paul is sitting here reminding us in verses 18 and 19 of the power of the gospel. He says, look what God has done. All I did, all I did in my ministry, and I think all the disciples would agree on this, is all we, all we did was we were obedient to what God called us to do. And then look what He did. Look at verse 18. It says, by word and by deed, by signs and by wonders, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has done. But our step is key. He says obedience. I'm confident a lot of us miss the powerful ministry of the gospel because of lack of obedience. It's less, it's less that God is, is not powerful and more that we're hung up or unwilling or our yes isn't fully on the table. Or perhaps, and I'll admit to this too, perhaps we're trying to save face at times. We're hesitant at times to really deliver to people the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Fueled with grace that Christ Jesus, look, look who He is to you. And there's something better for you. And sometimes we're in conflict, unwilling to be obedient. Paul says, in word and deed. Church, I, if we could get that one piece right today, I think we would see the gospel spring forth. If we could get that one piece right today, that we would more than just say it, we would live it. I've found that Christians are on one side of that. They often don't have that conjunction there, that and. They often don't have that part right. They're either really good with the word piece and not so good with the deed piece. They're really outspoken and they're willing to talk about it, but we don't see a lot of godly activity in their life. They say one thing, but they do another. That's a lot of believers. This is why society at large says the church is filled with hypocrisy. Well, it must be a bit of truth to that. Or they're just all just parroting one another. That's possible too. But the, the truth is there is a bit of truth to that. And the reason there is a bit of truth to that because we are still sinful and still broken and still daily in need of Christ Jesus. And He hasn't come yet. But at the same time, it should be our aim to be obedient to the Lord in word and deed. But then I recognize there's some people on the backside of that. They are faithfully living right. 
They just don't know how to do this. They don't know how to open their mouth at the right time. And God is, if they would think for a moment, God is giving them opportunity after opportunity. And maybe they're not seeing it. Maybe they're missing it. Open up your eyes, my friends. Paul says in word and in deed. The gospel was going forth. And then when I did that, when I was obedient in that, signs and wonders. And I've gotten in the habit too, and I know maybe some of you have as well, that these things, all these wonderful miracles I read on the pages of this book, they're in the past. And yet it's not so. The same God, the same power, the same Holy Spirit, and He's doing miracles all the time. He's doing things that maybe we don't see. But every once in a while we get to see them. I've seen people who I thought were so far from God's life, their lives change. I've seen people that I thought were, had cut themselves off from me come back to the fold. Those little miracles, I, 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 I've seen big ones, I've seen small ones. Now I'll admit, sometimes I pray for miracles and I don't see them and I'm still waiting on quite a few of them and I don't know why God doesn't answer them all. And yet God shows up in mighty ways. If I were to be obedient in word and deed, He shows up by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's my peace? What's my peace? Obedience. Yes, God. Yes, God. If I'm to be like the apostles, if I'm to be like the, the Christians that God has, 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 has sent before me and those that He has called me to, to imitate and to imitate Christ, if I'm to be that, obedience in word and deed. Obedience in word and deed. I love what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. You will receive power. Promise. Powerful ministry is yours. Are you obedient? I was a campus crusader. They've changed it now to just crew, I guess because... Crusade sounded like something, something bad. Maybe, I don't know. But what used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ, it was life-changing for me in college. Most people who, who went to ECU in those days, East Carolina University, in those, they, they, they didn't go to get right with Jesus. Let's just say that. They, they, most of them went to have a lot of fun, and I saw a lot of that. But for whatever reason, my freshman year, I felt the Lord really stir me and change me. And I started really getting into Campus Crusade for Christ and witnessing in my dorm rooms and on campus. And I even went on a summer project that summer when other kids went home and slept a lot, I guess, and ate a lot. I, I went and about starved to death and witnessed to people in Myrtle Beach. And one of the, the, the founder of Campus Crusade once said this, Dr. Bill Bright, he said, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. To me, that initiative is about this obedience in word and deed. I don't have to worry about the results. What I do have to consider is, am I saying yes again and again and again? Am I taking the blinders off and seeing around me? Will you recognize the power that's available to you in, a gospel, in your gospel witness? Wow. The third way is this. By seeing that it's a pioneering ministry. Now, I did stretch a little bit. I'll admit the word pioneer is not in the text, but you see what I'm doing here. These are all P's, right? Because I love you so much. I'm trying to help you remember things, right? It's powerful. It's pioneering. The idea of pioneers, this is funny because our church has really changed over the last five years. Those of you who were with us in those first two years, you're the pioneers, 
right? You're the crazy people who are willing to go build a church for two years. And sometimes only 10 people would show up. And those were really interesting days where we would, we would come and set up church. And, and at the end of the day, we'd find out there were 25 kids and 10 adults. And the 25 kids were all ours. And so it was a lot of work. And at times it felt like for not much value. And yet here we stand. One of the greatest gifts we can be given is perseverance for sure. That would be another P. It's not one on the list. But, but pioneering, this is what Paul saw about himself. And I think it's something that's a part of the gospel in every one of us. Is that we're called to be pioneers. That means we go to those who would, others would avoid. That means we, we go a step further than others might be willing to go. Pioneer is someone who's willing to go where no man, like Star Trek, to go where no man has gone before. This is what Paul's talking about. Notice his ambition here in verses 19 through like 24 here. He's talking about this idea of I'm ready to go to Spain, right? I'm ready to go to what they really thought was like the farthest end of the earth. God had told him at one point he thought he was going east. He thought he was going into Asia. And the Lord, he talks about, and I think it's in the book of Acts, he talks about how God has redirected him towards going into Europe further. And so now he's thinking, well, if that's what the Lord wants, I'm going as far as I can go. And Spain is like the edge of the world. And he's thinking, man, this is going to be wonderful. I, I'm, I know what God has called me to. He's called me to preach, preach Christ to those who have never heard. I think he's done that in each and every one of us. That ambition, that desire to witness, to reach people should be and is in every one of us. And there are certain people that you engage in that are in your circle of influence that most of in this room will never get a chance to touch. But you do every day. This is the idea of that pioneering kind of ministry. And there's some people in your life right now that we might call your long shots, right? There's some people you work with, maybe some people in your family that you're like, if they come to Jesus, it would literally be a miracle. And they're all miracles, my friend. They are all miracles. But and he can do it. But the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to go to the farthest ends of the earth like a pioneer? He says he's going through this place called Illyricum. That's not something you can see on a map in today's day, but, but it's this area that's basically in between Greece on the way into Italy. It's like, this is the area that I'm, I've been working through and I'm going through now Rome, Italy, and now I'm going to go all the way as far as I think I can go to Spain. And I, y'all might think I'm crazy. I'm kind of a history guy, but I was, as I read that this week, it made me ask a new question of like, Spain, okay, is that an English translation? Like, what did Paul say there? Did he literally say Spain? And I learned something this week, and I'm going to share it with you just because, why not? And this word here is literally Spania. And just so you know, the, the country of Spain has been called that since like 200 B.C. And so it's had some derivative of that name for, for a very long time. So when Paul writes it here, the people would have known uh, what he's talking about. And ironically, it's the same word for us still. He says, nothing's going nothing's to hold me back from going there. And I plan on making a stop. I feel this great commission. I feel that, that the Lord has called me to this. This is, this is what Christ said. In fact, in the book of Mark, it's, it's the second time he reiterates the great commission. He says in Mark 16, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The good news. I believe this is the thing that led me up here. This is the thing that guided me to Rocky Mount. Is I, I just I believe that 
there were people here who were far from God. And what's really wild is as soon as I started feeling the push to come this way and feeling like the Lord was leading me this way, I received so much backlash. And this might be weird, but it made me want to come more. It's like everybody was saying, Rocky Mount, have you seen the statistics on Rocky Mount? Oh my goodness, that place is the worst. Like that's what I heard over and over and over again. The drugs, the crime. You don't want to raise a family there. I mean, just wild stuff. And here all of you are like, are y'all nuts too? What are we doing raising our family in this town? But that made me think all the more, well, what better place? What? And, and there's tons of wonderful churches in this town. But we had, we had people driving from Castellia and from, from Rocky Mountain area, driving down to our Wilson campus and, and, and asking us, hey, when are you going to do something up our way? More small groups, more something. I said, well, well let's just start a church. I, and believe it or not, I, I did this very like mathematical. This might sound a little sad to y'all, but I was looking at all these distant, different censuses and these different statistics. And we were thinking about Goldsboro. We were thinking about Greenville. We were thinking about Rocky Mountain. I was doing all this research, and I just felt, you know what, that place, i got to go there. I don't know what it is. The Lord's leading me to be a pioneer in this city. And there is some tough stuff going on here. And they, these people do desperately need the Lord Jesus. And they do everywhere. No matter where we are, my friends, we're ministers, we're priests. No matter where God sends us, there we are as priests and pioneers in a new land. Have you ever heard of the 1040 window? Anybody ever heard of that? You could pop up this image really quick for me. Um, the 1040 window is based on, um, now this is, this is, I'm a little brain damaged right now. Is this latitude or longitude? Latitude? Latitude, longitude? Okay, so the 1040 window is, is the latitude lines. That's what those mean. And it's literally this area that covers the Middle East primarily, but much of North Africa, into Russia, into India. This, this is that area of the world that is the most unreached. And so if you ever hear people talk about the 1040 window, it has consistently been an unreached place. There are thousands of missionaries there. But these, a lot of these people are far, far from gospel. In fact, they believe many other things that make them very difficult to reach. And so this is, this is why so many people feel called to be pioneers to that 1040 window. And just something to be in prayer about, my friends. My, this, this church should be in prayer constantly for those and, and work in those really difficult places. And we have missionaries all over those, those areas. Two, two missionary families in Turkey right now. And we've got friends that, that you know, some of our people I've worked, worked with in, in Belarus, which is a little north of that, but we must admit it's still, it's in the yellow, I guess, there. But you might argue it's pretty red in some parts. <laughs> but um, something to be in prayer about, pioneering. But you don't have to go, you don't have to leave Rocky Mount, my friends. Guess what? You don't have to leave Rocky Mount to find the unreached. In fact, I bet you don't have to go very far down your street to find the unreached question is, where's your obedience? Here's the fourth. The fourth way, I'll relieve the tension a little bit for a moment, by grasping that it is a partnering ministry. It's powerful. It's pioneering. It's partnering. It's priestly. Y'all love these points. Man, this is good stuff. I got to admit, I borrowed a couple of them from John Stott, so I can't take the total credit, but once he got off on these peas, I'm like, I can build upon another man's work here. I can keep building. 
by grasping that it's a partnering ministry. This is what he's saying as he's beginning to come to a close here in this piece of, of Scripture. He's, it's this reason I'm coming to you, and, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping, look at verse 24, I'm hoping that you're going to help me on my way to Spain. Look, I'm doing a lot right now to gather. He's gathering funds all throughout Greece, all throughout the, this region. And the reason he's doing it is there's been a great famine in the Jerusalem area, and the, and the people are in, in, they're in great need. There's a lot of hurt. The people are starving. So he's, he's been gathering funds. And now he's bringing it back to Jerusalem. And he's going to run into some real problems when he goes back. That's for another time. But he's, what he's talking about here is this idea of a contribution. The people all throughout Macedonia and Achaia, he says, they've been given, they've been contributing. And now I want, if, you, if you're willing, church at Rome, would you help send me to Spain? As I pass through, I have a couple of needs. Would you help me go? Look at the wonder of the gospel here. That this is, this is what's a piece of what's really unique about Christianity. Is that, like the book of Acts chapter 2, we just give. And, and sometimes you'll hear these crazy statistics like church people are, aren't as generous as the rest of the world. And that's because uh, it's a very skewed and biased survey if you've ever read that. The truth is, evangelical Christians are the most generous people in America. In fact, those who really follow the gospel are incredibly generous. Not just with their treasure, but with their time. Some of you don't have much, but you have time. Paul is asking the Romans, and now I wonder, this is something that's always going to be true in the churches. Don't we owe it to those? <laughs> don't we owe it to those who came before us to continue to pass on this type of generosity? There's, there's people in my life that poured out a great deal so that I could, could be doing what I'm doing right now. I, I need a, a village of mentors. Y'all may not know this. I was a bit of a rascal. Right, I could have gotten in a whole lot more trouble if it had not been for some really good mentors in my life, youth ministers for me. Like certainly now, my father is is my main mentor. But I'll be honest, in my teen years, I wasn't so good at listening to him. And it's not because I thought he was dumb or anything like that. I knew the man was wise. I just didn't care what he thought, you know. And a lot of us went through that phase. Some of us are going through that phase with our teens right now. Trust me, I, hopefully they're going to come around. I realized at one point, you know what? My parents are really smart people. But I had to go through about 10 years where I was a screw up. But it was in that season of life that a lot of people mentored me, a lot, especially youth pastors, youth leaders. And I feel this, I feel what Paul is saying here. Don't, don't I owe it? This word owe has come back. It's come full circle. If you were with us a few weeks ago, he says something strange. He says, oh, oh, no, no, oh, nothing. Except just before that, he says, you should pay people their taxes and what they're owed and, and the revenue and the honor. And then right after that, he says, and I don't want you to owe anybody anything but love. And now he's bringing that terminology right back again. And I think it's in the exact same vein that this wonderful love of Christ is poured out on us from others. And we owe it to the next generation to pour it out again. That's what he's talking about. This Now, would you partner? Would you get alongside those who have poured out so much into you? Would you pour it out now into others? You owe it to them. That's a word that bothers me, I have to admit a little bit. Like, owe it to them? Like, but that's the word he uses. And the word for contribution here is so interesting. In verse 26, contribution is the word koinonia, which we normally take to mean like fellowship and, and partnership. But it's the word here is the idea of a, a joint gift, a joint partnership. That we owe one another and that we owe those around us that we would share it. And he's saying, look, I just, 
you, can, you get to be a part of something that we're already doing. Would you hop on in? This is what Christ's last prayer was for us, in fact. In Philippians 1, it's, it talks about this. And Paul, Paul is almost reciting something from Christ. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, every, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Your partnership in the gospel. I can't imagine where I'd be without those partners in the gospel. I wonder, are you willing to partner like those before us? Right now, church, this is kind of under the hood stuff, but just want you to know some things about where some of our, some of what we, we take up and offering goes every week. Or every month, I should say. That there are local ministries all over town and we're looking for more constantly. We actually found out as we were doing our budget that, that we hadn't, given as much as we budgeted to this one organization and wrote them a big check recently. Like, oh, well, that was a mistake, so here you go. And uh, there's the, the local pregnancy center. We're supporting them. We're supporting, um, we're, we're about to start supporting peacemakers, and so I'm working through that. And so and we're doing these things in Wilson, and we're supporting missionaries around the world. We're supporting, in fact, did you know this church right now? <laughs> we're actually already putting money aside for another campus. Um, which some of you might think, you know, we're still pretty small here. Probably good to keep some of that. But at the end of the day, I'm so thankful that the next person on this journey doesn't have to go through everything I went through. Some of you were in those early days with us when we had borrowed equipment. And I lived on a credit card. That was kind of my thing. I was working at a pharmacy for some of that. It'd be really great to help somebody else uh, do a little better. <laughs> because... It was pretty rough. But I'm thankful to be a part of that. I'm thankful that our church, my goal, and a lot of churches' goals are this, that we would tithe our budget to. That we're modeling our tithe over and over and over again. And that we would tithe back our budget to missions, to partnerships all around our, our local community and the world. And we're getting close. We're getting close to be able to do that. So this, this is that season of life. This is that season of the year, I should say, where it should be a season of thanksgiving. It should be a season of partnership. I wonder, friends, I'm just inviting you. Don't think so much about this being a church thing. I'm inviting you. Would you be a partner in, in ministering to people? And that might mean you do some things all on your own. Maybe you've noticed th there's a neighbor that's hurting. Maybe you know, hey, he just had surgery. Their family's in need. They don't go to church anywhere. Would you be obedient? Partner <laughs> with Christ Jesus? And reaching them, maybe they need a meal. Maybe they need their lawn mowed. Maybe their leaves are covered their yard, right? Probably. I wonder, would you be obedient in partnering with the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to partner with others for the sake of the gospel? Here's the last one. And really, this one is a, is a, is a duh, or at least it should be a big duh. And that is, it is a prayerful ministry. It's a prayerful ministry. We're pioneers. We're priests. It's powerful. We're partners in the gospel, but... All of this, I would argue, all of it starts in prayer. <laughs> that the beginning of the gospel really always started in prayer. The, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the gospel in the book of Acts, it started with ten days of prayer. It starts with prayer. It's a prayerful ministry. This is how he closes his letter. That you would strive together with me in your prayers. 
He, he gives us his third benediction, in fact, of chapter 15, right here in verse 33. He says, may the God, just previously he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And now, may the God of peace be with you all. This is this, this sense of, would you join me now in prayer? Would you join me now in asking God to give us strength and endurance and hope and joy and peace? The word in verse 30 is interesting as he says, strive with me in prayer. Verse 30, in fact, let me read it again for you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers. This word strive is interesting. It's soon agonizomai. It's a big word you don't have to remember, but in the middle of it, you probably hear the word agony. Soon agonizomai. And this is this idea that you would join together in the struggle. The word agony is, is what you think. It's the sense here that our prayers for one another, that joining in this partnership, it's like this idea of, all right, I'm going to get, I'm going to share the pain. I don't know, is that a positive message to hear today? Does that encourage you? It's like, that's what he prays for though. Roman church, now church of Christ, would you, would you share in another passage, he says, would you share in the sufferings of the gospel? What does that mean? I'm starting to learn what that means, church. I'll admit something to you. I think for many years I really struggled with empathy, really struggled with compassion, and then the Lord's given me more pain. That sounds dark, I know. But I think He's done that for my good. He's allowed some things in my life so that I might have a softer heart. Now, I recognize people can go two ways here. And some of you, I, I pray for you, my friends. Pain can make you do one of two things. It can soften your heart or it can harden it. For Pharaoh, it hardened his heart. All the pain, it made him harder and worse. And maybe that's happening to you, but that's not the Christian response. That's not what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. And, and death and pain and suffering and those things in my life have made my heart softer and softer to where I start, I'm starting to understand what Paul means by strive together in this suffering. Sharing it. Now I can pray different. Here's what I mean by that. Because I, I, f- I feel real empathy and compassion. And some of you have been there and so you're like, well, duh, welcome on board. But I'm able to pray with you with my heart and pray for you with my heart. And that's better. It's more than empty words. And some of you, I know your pain. We've talked this week or recently. I know what you're struggling with and I'm struggling with some stuff. And I can really pray now and go, you know, God, I want to strive together with those people like those he's asking. I'm asking diligently for some miracles in people's lives right now, that you would cure diseases, that you would bring people back to right relationship, that you would save the lost. There's people in your families that are far from God, and I'm diligently praying for them. And I'm praying for healing. And there's so many miracles I'm praying for, and I don't know what God will do. I'm striving together with you. I'm asking him, as Paul is asking us here, would you join with me? Would you pray for the gospel? And that's the next step, right? I'm happy to pray for all these miracles, but I'm praying for these bigger things. Like, God, would you reach people with our stories? No matter what pain you trusted us with, or or what profit, or what some of us, he's trusting us with good things. It's not that God only trusts us with pain. No, he trusts us with a multitude of things. And God, would you get the glory in all of that? God, would you, would you use that for your gospel message? I'm prayerful with you in that. And I'm asking church, would you join 
and all of the saints and being prayerful for the kingdom of God to go out. That's why we're here. That's why we're pioneers in this city. That's why we're priests. That the gospel would go out. Pray for one another. Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, I pray in the Holy Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. It's powerful. It works. There's no reason to stop. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean God's not done. There's so many things that go against us praying. And yet that's the main, the main impetus of this last piece. To be prayerful. Church, this is our mission. If we're going to say yes to being a gospel-centered church, a gospel church, this is our mission. We're priests. We're partners in the gospel. And we do this by obedience and word and deed. And it's going to take an immense amount of prayer. And he's listening. And he's powerful to change lives. And he will do it. Will you recognize your priestly role? Depend on the power of Christ. Partner and pray. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we must admit to you that we have our doubts at times. That there are some things in our lives, some people in our lives that we've been praying for a long time. Or maybe diligently for a short time and we're not seeing a lot of movement. But God, we're, we're trusting today. Here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That for whatever desire I have for other people, you have it tenfold if not more. That whatever love I have for my brother, whatever love I have for my coworker, for my family member, that person I'm praying diligently for, that, that God, you would set them free, you would save them. Whatever love I have for them is pale in comparison to yours. And so I'm asking now, God, help me, help me to have confidence in you. Help me to live out, as Paul put here, that I would live out my life in word and deed. Let me not be the kind of person, God, that, that lives right but doesn't open his mouth. And also not the kind of person that's, that's ready to, to speak truth, but not so ready to live it. God, help me. Guide me. Give, encourage me, God, that I would live in complete obedience to you. And that you would use that. My priestly service to you, God, you would use it so that those around me would come to Christ. You say in your word, Lord, you don't desire for any man, any man to go unsaved. You desire for all men to be reconciled, all men to be saved. You desire that for all people. That's what you say in your word. You want to use us to be a part of that. God, would you use us in a mighty way? Help us to be obedient word and deed. I'm praying for that person in here right now that just doesn't see themselves as a priest. Would you give them a new vision of themselves right now? I pray you just invade their thoughts right now, Lord, and help them remember, you know what? You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. You are indeed a priest. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you're going through right now. You are a priest of the gospel. And I've set you free for a grand, a great purpose. God, remind them of that right now. God, would you restore that person in the room that's so hurt? That's so hurting right now, maybe from some physical pain, but maybe from the pain of a broken relationship. Would you heal that and remind them, God, you are at work in their priestly service. And your ministry is powerful. Help us to never doubt that, God. That you are on the move in our city. Dear friend, if you come here today and none of this really makes a lot of sense for you yet, and the reason, and you know it, and the reason for that is you've not yet said yes to Jesus yourself. You've not accepted him as your own personal Lord and Savior. 
And for that reason, you're not a priest yet, and you know that. But if you feel the Holy Spirit stirring you today to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of His people and be one of His, then pray right along with me simply this. Lord Jesus, I'm asking today that you would save me. I believe this morning that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that today with all my heart. Jesus, I also believe that God raised you from the dead, that you are indeed the resurrection and the life. I'm asking now, Jesus, would you save save me and set me free? Set me on a new course, God. I believe this with all my heart. I'm thankful for who you are in me. Would you now guide me to be a priest in my city, a priest to my family? Dear friend, welcome to the family of God if you prayed that with us and we're praying with you the same thing. God, make us priests. Help us in word and deed that our lives would be a total picture of the glory of the gospel. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.